You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Che. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. Before we get started on that, I I do want to make mention that uh, Pastor did reach out to me today. He let me know that he was uh, praying for the church. He let me know that he missed you guys. He, he wanted you guys to know that he was he was getting fed and uh, he was having a great feast up there with the great preaching and that he uh, is grateful that we allow him to be able to do that. And uh, he says that he can't wait to come back and preach to you guys and to love on you guys and to and to fight against the gates of hell with this church. And uh, he mentioned something about chewing on furniture. I'm, I'm not really sure what that means. So either there's something wrong with our pastor or we're getting a puppy. I, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know what that means, but he wanted me to let you guys know that he will come back and chew on the furniture. So we'll, we'll look forward to seeing what that means. So, But uh, I think so often God lays certain things on my heart, and I think they're going to become a message, and I'll pray about it, and I'll study it, and and so often it it just kind of gets put on the back burner. This is a message that has stayed with me for the last three years. For those of you that don't know, I was called to preach about three years ago. And if you would have asked me what ministry was like, Three years ago, I would have said it was fun and exciting. There was, there was much joy in ministry. Man, you guys can go ahead and be seated. You guys can go ahead and be seated in the back. I still believe that there is much joy in the ministry. But if you ask me how I feel about ministry tonight, I would have to be very honest with you and say that I have more questions about ministry than I have answers. There is so much of ministry that to me, I just, I don't understand. And it is being in ministry this last three years, I've seen so much growth within my own family, with my wife and with my children and, and two little ones that are in Bible blazers. And I've seen the growth of this church, but with that comes heartache in ministry. With that comes so many unknowns in ministry. And if we're not careful, we could lose our focus. We can get so focused on this life that we can forget why we got into ministry. I remember the excitement that I had when I was called to preach. I didn't didn't know what it meant for my life. I didn't know what was going to take place. But I was excited about it. And if I'm being real honest tonight, most most mornings I wake up, I think about it every day. It is my calling. It's what God has called me to do. But most days I'm trying to talk God out of making me go forward with it. And that bothers me. Not because I don't enjoy what he's called me to do. Not because I don't enjoy serving in this church. But because I'm a lot like King Amaziah and that I have a desire to walk in the ways of the Lord, but my heart isn't perfect. My focus isn't right. And really, over the last three years, I've thought about this. I've studied it here and there, and, and, you know, it'll kind of go away, but it, it always comes back. And you start questioning things in ministry. You think, am I, am I really doing a good job as a Sunday school teacher? Am I really doing what I need to be doing within my family? Am I pleasing to my wife? Am I, am I being the godly husband that she needs? Am I being an example to Jeremy and to Jillian and to Holden and Hudson and the young men within this church? Am I doing everything that I should be doing? But the truth is, I, I get so caught up on the little things. And, and when you really weigh them out next to eternity, it's amazing how small they seem, non-existent. Because there's going to come a time when we stand before God, and none of those things are going to mean anything. You know, 
I, I appreciate this and I'm not saying that please don't come and talk to me, but so many people, I don't know if it's because I've been called to preach and people think a certain way, but people will come and tell me things and I'm okay with you tell, telling me things. I'm not gonna go tell everybody else what you tell me. That's in confidence if you want it to be. And I'm okay with that, but sometimes that, that drags me down in such a way that I, I have that gift of mercy and I think if I could just fix this problem for that person, and I become ineffective for the glory of God because I'm not so much worried about glorifying God. I'm trying to fix a problem that sometimes I can't fix. It isn't up to me to fix it. I wonder why people have this perpetual pity party that they throw over and over again. And you try and you try and you witness and you counsel and you pray and you edify and you exhort and yet they never change. And I struggle with that. I don't understand why people just won't listen to what you have to tell them. It's not my words, it's God's words. So much of ministry is, is a what if or what am I doing type question. It's a struggle. I've always been very open to anybody that's asked me about ministry, and I'm certainly not perfect, and I don't believe anybody is in this church, and if you are, please leave now because you're going to mess it up. <laughs> but ministry is difficult, and I struggle with that fact, so much so that my focus gets so out of tune with what God has for me. And I don't know about you guys, but when I get to a point in my life where I can't focus, I don't know what to do, I start reading my Bible. And so often I get in God's word and, and I'll start reading it and I'll, and I'll read through scripture and I'll read verses and chapters and God will lay certain things on my heart and I'll go, I don't know what any of that means right now, God. I don't know what to do with that. But there is a particular verse, and we'll get there in a second, but really, Paul has always been an influence for me. We could look at Paul's life, and Paul has faced so much opposition. He has faced so many hardships, and yet still we see a man who has never swayed in his service for God. He was considered a zealot. He was all out and all in for the glory of God. And so often when I get discouraged in ministry and I don't know what to do in ministry, I start reading through the epistles of Paul, Sometimes I'll read through Acts, and I'll remember bits and pieces of his testimony or bits and pieces of his life, and I'll start to read it. And that's exactly what happened just a few months ago, or really three years ago, but a few months ago, I really started to pick it back up and think about it more. But there is a desire in my life, and I hope in yours as well, to get refocused on the things of God. If we aren't careful, we can come to church and we can sit on the pews and we can continue to listen to the pastor get up here and preach exactly what we need and we can talk about the building and it can become very monotonous and mundane to the point where we have no desire to be here. And I've never been to that point where I haven't had a desire to be at church, but I've had some what ifs. I've had some, do I really have to go, babe? Do I really have to get up and preach? Do I really have to go and teach Sunday school? Do I really have to do this? And thank God I have a godly wife that continues to encourage me, maybe physically, but she encourages me. And I need that. I have men in here that I can go to and, and, and they have very rough pasts. And you know what? That's the kind of men I gravitate to, towards because that's the kind of past I had. I had a very rough past. And those men, they have free reign to be rough with me and tell me how they see it. And I need men like that to help me be accountable in ministry, to help me to stay focused on what I'm supposed to be focused on. Because our focus at the end of the day, regardless of what we're doing as Christians, needs to be God. And so often we get so far away from that because we get, we get fixated on the things that don't matter. We get fixated on, on minute comments that don't mean anything. We get fixated on why is this per person teaching Sunday school and I'm not teaching Sunday school? Why does this person get to be the head of this ministry and I don't? Why can't we do it my way? My way is better than their way. 
so often we face that and it gets to a point where it just drags you down. And as I was reading scripture, we'll go ahead and turn to Acts number 20, Acts chapter number 20, and I'll invite you to stand. I was reading through Paul and I hadn't made it through the entire chapter. It was really just a verse that I had remembered. Acts chapter 20, verse number 24. And it was in all my questions to God, why does this happen? Why is this person this way? Why do I have to deal with this situation? Why are things going the way that they are? God asked me a question. I didn't like the question. But so often, let's be honest, we read God's word and we don't like what he has to say to us. But it's so very necessary. Look there in verse number 24 of Acts 20. It says, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to be in your church this evening, Lord. We thank you for the good turnout, Lord. We pray that you just be with our pastor and the Walker family. Keep them safe as they travel back, Lord. I pray that you just be with the preaching tonight, Lord. Give me uh, boldness in, in, in everything I ought to say and hold back everything I ought not to say. And let it, let it speak to the hearts of your people, Lord. Let it be for your praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen. God asked me a very serious question. He said, Mark, of all the things that you've gone through, of all the things that you've witnessed, the families you've watched leave the church, the people you've watched get hurt, friends that have turned their backs on you, coworkers that want nothing to do with you because you're a, a Christian, in all of that, are you moved? Are you moved in such a way that you no longer want to serve me. You know, so often we're like that little kid on the playground. We want to think that God has cooties when we go out in public and we don't want anything to do with him. We want to shut it down really quick that people, people want to accuse us of being a Christian. That's the greatest accusation you can ever have thrown at you. And so often we want to hide it and hoard it. No, I don't, I don't go to church and, and I'm not a Bible thumper and I don't read my Bible and I don't. Why? Why? Why do we do that? Those are the questions I asked myself. God said, are you moved? There's a few things throughout Acts 20 and Acts 19 that we'll look at tonight that I've seen in the life of Paul. Areas where, where he was unmoved. Areas where if we're in ministry long enough, if we're saved long enough, we're going to face these types of situations. Number one tonight is uh, Acts 20, verse number one. Be not moved in contention. Let's turn there real quick. And it says, and after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. From that verse there, we can, we can see that Paul's life is full of contention. You read the ministry of Paul. You read about the life of Paul. There is contention everywhere that Paul goes. He always has a way of stirring people up, whether it be good or bad, everywhere that he goes but he always stays focused. From what we see of him, he always did everything he did to the very best of his ability, full of zeal and desire. Even if that meant he was going to ruffle some feathers. We get so nervous about going out, soul winning and telling people about Jesus Christ. Oh, oh, okay, you don't have to take the track, that's okay. No, that might be the only chance you get to witness to them. You get that track in the door. That is our calling. Each and every one of us are called to preach in that way. We are to give the gospel to a lost and dying world. We cannot be moved in that. As one studying Jewish law under Gamaliel, he was contentious in the persecution of Christians. We know the story about how he stood and watched Stephen be stoned to death, egged it on as he held the coats of those killing that young man. He was there in that. He was, he was very much involved in the persecution of God's people. But then we see something happen to Paul, his conversion on the Damascus Road. We see him become a contender of the faith, always contentious, always fighting, always ready to go to battle for the glory of God. All throughout the ministry of Paul, he faced contention. Those he once stood with, the Pharisees of his day and age, now hated him. Those he now desired to be with questioned if he was genuine in his conversion. 
They feared him. They knew his reputation, but he did not let that stop him going forward for the glory of God. It seems as though when you study his life and his ministry, we see a man going from one contentious issue to the next. We see him in the prisons. We see him in the synagogues. We see him with leaders, even up to death. There was always contention. There was always a fight with Paul. He was going to do whatever it took, whether people tried to kill him, persecute him, stone him, lay in wait for him. It did not matter. He was going to do whatever it took. He was not going to be moved in getting the gospel to a lost and dying world. And I ask myself that same question. Are you moved? Would you do that? Would you face that persecution? Would you face that heartache? Would you be willing to go to prison for your faith? I heard a preacher not too long ago said, you, I will go to prison for the glory of God. It just means that I just get to start a jail ministry. That ought to be our mindset in it. Everywhere that we go, we can be, we can be used for the glory of God. Time and time again, defending the faith, provoking those he preached to, debating, and yet always calm and collected in everything that he did. He was always focused. He always knew exactly where he was going. He always knew that he had a course and that he had to finish that course. Never deterred, never strayed, never moved. And so often we get moved for the littlest of things. So and so said this and hurt my feelings. So and so won't hang out with me. I don't understand why this person won't do that. I don't understand why I can't be a part of this ministry. We get moved by the most ridiculous of things. But we see in that verse, there was an uproar. Now to understand why Paul said that he was not moved at these things, that none of these things moved him, we have to understand what he's talking about. What is it that didn't move you, Paul? What was the cause of this uproar? Let's read in Acts chapter number 19, verse number 24. It says, For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation, and said, Sirs, ye know not that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, ye see and hear that none alone at Ephesus, but almost, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. This uproar, uproar started because Paul was bad for business. Paul went into Ephesus, a place that he was not welcomed and not wanted, and he caused an uproar. He stirred people up. You see, the city of Ephesus was, all, was where the temple of the goddess Diana was, considered to be one of the seven wonders of the world at that time. People flocked to this area to worship this goddess Diana. No better place to set down roots and make a ministry. Paul spent some time in Ephesus. The silversmiths in that area made profit off of the religious beliefs of the people of Ephesus by selling silver statues of goddess Diana. We have the same thing today. It's called Disney World, Disneyland, Universal Studios. We go to those places. We flock in droves to throw away our hard-earned earn money for what? To worship movies? To worship Disney princesses? Where is our focus? Why are we so easily moved? Their cash cow was drying up because Paul was having an impact on this city. And not just the city of Ephesus, but all throughout Asia. He had impact. He was reaching people. And they didn't like that. As a Christian, what I've learned, if you really want to ruffle some feathers, you start hitting pocketbooks. Because you start messing with people's money, and people are going to get real mad at you real quick. I love it. I love it. Because they shouldn't be spending their money on that garbage anyways. All these tourists, you're getting little Zeke, a silver goddess statue when you go to Ephesus, brother, brother Dusty. Shame on you. If we took time to read the entire chapter of Acts 19, we would see that Paul had spent the last two years and three months witnessing to the city of Ephesus. For three months, he preached in the synagogues, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God for three months, and he was unsuccessful. Most of us would have gave up after the first three hours. 
Marcus just started soul winning here not too, not too terribly long ago. The first couple doors he went to, he got cussed at. He got the door slammed in his face. Show up. I promise you, you're going to see something good. You keep showing up. It's worth it. The sad reality is that not every door we go to, we're going to see somebody saved. And to be honest with you, if that was happening, I don't think we'd have faith in God. I really don't. That would be a, that would be a glor- glorious, glorious thing to see, but we wouldn't have any faith in God. We're so easily moved. We get so discouraged. If we're not seeing results right away, we think we just got to jump out. You ever think maybe it's just your heart that's not right? Maybe it's you. Brother Mike, we were talking about this, Brother Mike Haven, not too terribly long ago, but what are we doing before we go out soul winning? When's the last time we got prayed up before we went out soul winning? I'll be real honest. It's been a while since I got prayed up before I went soul winning. So often I go out and I, I have desire to see people saved, but I get so tired of seeing those doors slammed in my face that I almost, I almost give up. That's a me problem. That's a you problem. Let us not be moved in that. For three months he preached, only to have those he preached to to become hardened and believe not. Most people would have moved on. But Paul's disciples and Paul had a heart for that city. They weren't willing to just leave it unturned. They had to continue. So you know what he did? He decided, ah, well, I'm already here. Let's spend another two years here. Daily he preached. Daily he preached. How many people do you think were saved daily? Probably not near as many as you would think. I'm sure there were some discouraging times. I'm sure he spent a lot of time going, man, I just, I just wish we could just get one. But he kept at it for two years. What started out a little rough turned into many being saved and many giving up their old lives. Look, look what it says there in Acts 19, verse number 20. Look what it says. Read it with me. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. That means people were getting saved. It means what he was preaching had impact on people. Because he was not moved in what God had called him to do. God had given him the ministry to testify the gospel of the grace of God. You know we have that same calling? That's exactly what we're supposed to do. Nothing has changed. Why? Because it still works. It's still good. The same people we get saved now, the same way they got saved, is the same way they got saved in Paul's time. It works. And yet we lose faith in what we once believed in. That makes no sense to me. Why, why is that? We believed. For some of us, let's be honest, we heard a lot of preaching before we got saved. And yet somehow we, we expect people to just, oh, I'm, I'm so glorious and elegant in my speech that I'm going to go, want to get saved? Yes, let, let's do it. It doesn't always work that way. I mean, let's be honest. I, I'm not trying to call anybody out. But how many of us actually go soul winning? How many of us actually witness in our workplaces? How many of us actually witness when we go out in public? How many of us take tracks with us? If we had full involvement, could you imagine the fire that would take place in this church? But we're scared of what? We're so easily moved by what? We get our feelings hurt by what? We're supposed to be focused on God. That is why I got into ministry when I accepted the calling to preach upon my life. It is because I wanted to help people understand what God had done in my life. How he had changed me. I talk about my testimony a a lot, and I'm sorry, but it's the only one I got. For eight long years, I spent a lot of time out in this world doing drugs, alcohol, things that I wouldn't dare speak of from behind the pulpit. And I was miserable every day of that eight years. Miserable. I don't want people to experience that. I don't want these young people to experience that. We cannot be moved. People's lives depend upon it. People began to take notice of what Paul was doing. It was rubbing some the wrong way. Would to God we stopped worrying about what others think and be concerned with what God thinks. 
Are we being pleasing to God? Are we doing what God has laid upon our hearts? First and foremost, are we witnessing? It, 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 it blows my mind. You hear so many people talk about it, and we receive this free gift. No strings attached. You just accept. And for whatever reason, we want to hold on to it. We don't, we don't want to tell people about it. Why? You remember the joy that you experienced when you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Do you remember that joy? Talk to me. Talk to me. Come on. I know there's more than three saved people in this room. When's the last time you got excited by the fact that Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sins so that you would never have to experience separation from your heavenly Father? It is a free gift. By grace, ye are saved through faith. All this rubbing people the wrong way, it led to a point where people were getting upset. They were losing out on their gain, on their profit. This ultimately led to the uproar, and some of the disciples were captured and forced into the temple with the intent to cause great harm. Paul, not, not being one to back down from a fight, makes it a point to try to get into this temple to be able to get his disciples out of the temple. And in that, there's this confusion, and Jews don't know what's going on, and unsaved people don't know what's going on, and there's this chanting for the princess of Diana, no doubt a very scary moment. If anybody has worked retail and seen Black Friday, and you see those scary moms coming in for their kids' toys, and they're knocking people down to get those TVs and those PS4s and all that other garbage you guys spend your money on, and you see that, it's scary. Most people are going to get out because of that. The gnashing and wailing of teeth, they don't want to see that. But I say all that to say this to a Wednesday night crowd. I truly believe you guys wouldn't have shown up to a Wednesday night service knowing full well that Brother Mark was preaching and still come faithfully and desire to be here without a desire to serve God. Am I right? That's why we come to church so that we could learn more about his word and we can go out and tell people about what he did on the cross. I fully believe that many of us are here tonight because we want to serve God. Otherwise, I really don't know why you're here. We want to tell people about Jesus, but those times of contention all too often, they push us away from ministry. Look, I I haven't sugarcoated it yet. Ministry is difficult. It's very difficult. If you, don't, if you don't believe me, go right on the bus with Brother Luke. And you watch these children, they come from these broken homes. And they go over to Brother Dusty and Miss Angela, and they deal with these children from broken homes, and they have parents that don't care about them. Many of these small children don't even live with their biological parents. They live with grandparents. They live with aunts and uncles because they grow up in broken homes. Tell me that doesn't do something to you. Tell me that doesn't change you. Tell me that doesn't break your heart. I'll tell you what it ought to do. It ought to make you want to drive even more to see those young people saved. Are you tired driving the bus, Brother Luke? No. He's done it ever since the day I started coming to this church 10 years ago. And I'm pretty sure you're going to have to kill him to get that seat. I remember when I first came to this church and I got involved in the bus ministry. I'm a, I'm a little off my notes, but we got time tonight, right? I remember when he started talking to me about ministry, he started telling me about how tough children's ministry is because so often you're going to pour so much of yourself and your heart into these young children and so often they're going to disappear and then they'll come back and then they'll disappear and then they'll come back or you might not ever see them again. But when you see them get saved and you see them start coming to church and you see a Hector sitting on the front row or you see an Oslin sitting on the front row. See a Lewis, Caitlin, Javen. You see these young children sitting on there and they get a fire. Something starts happening. That's our future. Those are preachers and missionaries. Those are people that we ought to be pouring time into and it's exhausting, but it's worth it. Not a one of us enjoys being cussed at for bringing the gospel. I can guarantee you that. 
Not one of us wants that door slammed in our face. No one wants to constantly have to debate why you live the way you do and talk the way you do and dress the way you do. And I think of our missionaries. We have a daughter, she's, she has professed that she's called to Africa and we'll see what happens there, but Africa is a very dangerous country. They've been in civil war for who knows how long. They have people that desire to kill you and we have these missionaries, they go to these hostile and dangerous areas. Why? Because they love God. And they're excited about what God did in their lives. And they desire to tell people about Jesus. And their lives are in very real danger, but they aren't moved. They're focused. I find it heartbreaking when someone rejects the gospel. So often we get those doors slammed in our face. People say some nice friendly words and they send you on your way and you walk away from that door and you think if if they only knew what they were rejecting sometimes and maybe this is just the way my mind works but sometimes i think if we could just stand at the gates of hell and we could open the gates and just let them hear the the gnashing and the screaming and the terror and the people saying please don't let anybody else come here please go and tell my family about jesus christ if we could do that just for a minute, I fully believe that nobody would ever choose hell. But we have to believe it. We can't be moved in it. I really don't understand the nastiness and ugliness that we get from so much of the world just for even mentioning you're a Christian. Oh, well, you're just, you're just a bigot, or you're just this, and you don't believe this, and you guys do this, and this, and this, and this, and you guys are just money-driven, and all you care about is the tithe and making the pastor rich. No. I welcome that, because if we're getting that kind of feedback, we're doing something right. right. Bring it on, right. but be not moved in it. Yeah. It's amazing how, how this world, you'll go out with love, and try to tell people about Jesus, but they will unload their thoughts and their opinions on you. And you had better dare not defend yourself. You had better not speak up about your disdain for their lifestyle. You had better not speak up about what you believe because the truth of the matter is, as a Christian, we really have no rights. There is no freedom of speech for a Christian because the world does not care what you have to say. That's why it's a fight. That's why we can't be moved in it. I'll be honest, I, I get very easily discouraged. It's not something I'm proud of, but I do. And I find myself thinking things like, you know, I, I, could, just, I, could, just, I could just sit in the pews. I could just sit in the pews and I could not care. I could, I could stop teaching Sunday school, and I'm sure most of my class would like that. But <laughs> Brother Cody, thank you. <laughs> I could stop going soul winning and witnessing. Sometimes my mind starts to wander to places like Jeremiah, and I think, you know, I could just stop talking about God altogether. Just not even care. I could withdraw myself. I could do that. I think I could. Surely that would relieve the contention in my life. If you don't confront it, you don't have to deal with it, right? That's my mindset. I could shut off the burdens of others, no longer to care of what goes on in the church, no longer to care about the people, the ministry. But then something starts to burn within me. Have you ever felt that? Yeah. Ever felt that? It just starts to well up inside you. What is that? I think it's the Holy Spirit. But it starts to burn within you. And you start thinking back on your life. And I remember that 15-year-old boy that accepted Christ in his bedroom in Milton, Florida, thinking that I was unlovable and I found love, thinking that I was unforgivable, and I found forgiveness. I remember then how at 16, I, I started this horrible journey, this eight miserable long years in the world, full of, full of drugs and alcohol and all other ungodly sin you can think of, and I hated every bit of it. The world's so cold, and it's so cruel, and it does not care about you at all. It doesn't care. And then I remember how when I came back, God showed me love like I'd never known. 
in the people he put in my life. He put, a, he put a Sunday school teacher named Jason Felt who took time and was patient with me and taught me scripture. He put a, na- a man named Scott Turbyfield in my life who was patient, taught me scripture, took me under his wing, spent time with me, loved on me, cared about me. He put other godly men in my life who I just got to watch the heartaches that they went through. I remember a man and his wife, the wife had cancer from the entire time I was in the church in Alabama up until the time she died two years later and never one time did she complain. You watched her deteriorate very quickly. She went from being able to stand upright to being in a wheelchair to having a leg amputated to not being able to do much of anything to death. And she continued to be not moved and stayed faithful in preaching the gospel. I try so hard sometimes to push that burning sensation down, that feeling. I, I don't want to feel that. Sometimes I think, God, just, just let me give up. I can't do it. I don't want to do it anymore, Lord. Just, just, just leave me alone and go on to the next person. But then he just keeps pushing, and he won't let me forget. You remember, Brother Che? You remember? Before you know it, my heart's beaten to the point where I think it's going to pound out of my chest. And that excitement boils up inside of me. And I remember exactly why I got into ministry. And I say, God, I am not moved. I will continue to serve you gladly and do whatever it is that you would have for my life. Because there are too many souls that depend upon it. I cannot be moved. You cannot be moved. We must not give up. Gladly will I serve you. Be not moved in times of contention, for though it be easy to get discouraged, the day will come when the fight is over, and it will be worth it all. Never to think about what we left behind. We make, we make mountains out of molehills all day long. Mark it down. You set out to do anything for the glory of God. Contention will be met. That's why Paul said, I fought a good fight. Daily, he fought. People are going to say some pretty nasty things about you. People are going to desire to harm you. You're going to have to take a stand for what you believe in from time to time. But be not moved in times of contention. Now, this isn't exactly part of my message, but sometimes that contention reaches the church house. Be not moved. Let it not be the end. You continue to go forward. Because God has purpose for you. God has desire for you. You can't give up. He's done too much for you. He loves you too much. You can't allow the contention to move you. We see also, be not moved in chore. The very definition of chore is a necessary task, typically a household one. Well, as I see it, we're in God's house. And much of what we do is necessary whether it be in God's house or outside of God's house. So there is much chore to be done. It can be exhausting. Paul was a busy man. Look there in Acts 20, verses 13 through 16. It says, And we went before to ship and sailed unto Azos, here intending to take in Paul. For so had he appointed, minding himself to go afoot. And when he met with us in Azos, we took him in and came to Mytilene. And we sailed thence and came the next day over against Chios, and the next day we arrived at Samos and tarried at Trogelium, and the next day we came to Miletus. For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia, for he hasted if it were possible for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. He was a busy, busy man. Anywhere and everywhere. If the gospel was needed, he wanted to be there. If you, look at the, if you look at the maps, some of your maps have them in the back of your Bible, and you see the paths of Paul. He was all over the place, reaching people by the millions. Exhortation in hopes that others would be so moved to spread the word of God. All too often in churches, we hear that old saying, 20% of people doing 80% of the work. And sadly, in every single church I've ever been in, that's true. It's because the chore, the task that needs to be done for God's word to go further is exhausting. There is always, there is always, there's always, 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 always work that needs to be done. 
If you come to God's house and you find yourself standing around twiddling your thumbs, something is wrong. There is always something to do. There is always some way to get involved. We look at the ministry of Paul, and it was no easy feat to cover the ground he did. The seas were rough. The terrain was not easy to navigate. There was imminent danger. People desired to kill Paul. Let us not forget Paul was shipwrecked how many times? Three times. Three times. Brother Dusty got it. You get it. I don't have any candy. Sorry, sir. I'll get you. Three times. We would have given up after the first rough wave. I don't know about you guys, but I don't like being in boats when they're going... Not fun. There were people that desired to kill Paul. They tried to capture him along his journey. He didn't have the luxury of hopping in a nice suburban and cranking up the AC and leaning back those comfy AC leather seats and jamming out to the latest CD from North Valley. He didn't have that luxury. He was roughing it. But it didn't move him. Didn't care. He just wanted to do what God wanted him to do. He was not moved. To do what Paul did was in no way an easy task, but it was a necessary one. Necessary. Necessary far outweighs what we think is necessary. God ought to be in control of everything that we do. The souls of a lost and dying world depended upon it. Just as much now as back then, souls depend upon it. We have it so easy. We could fly anywhere in the world and be there in a matter of hours. And yet we won't even get up on a Saturday morning and go soul winning in our own city. Be not moved. God has purpose for you. As much as we like to think that serving God is just witnessing, I, I, would, I would agree that it is the most important thing we do and that everything that we do has the potential to be used to witness to somebody. But serving God is not just witnessing. It is also being a good steward of what God has given us. And guess what? That's a chore. It takes hard work, and whether you think it to be or not, it's necessary. God desires we take good care of the things that he's given us, our spouses, our children, our homes, our vehicles, the church, the church that we're building next door. God desires for us to be good stewards of that. It's amazing to me that we'll spend hours upon hours at work working to exhaustion, yet the moment anything needs to be done at church, suddenly we are nowhere to be found. Where's Brother Cody? I don't know. FBI's looking for him. I haven't seen him. Somehow you made it to the FBI's most wanted list, Brother Cody. I don't know how you did it. We found him right there. Now understand, I'm not saying that this is everyone, and I'm not trying to call anybody out tonight, but hey, if the phone's ringing, go ahead and pick it up. We need to get involved. There shouldn't be any reason that we're sitting in the pews doing nothing. Pray. Pray, at least pray, do something. God has given us purpose. Why squander it? It's amazing the view that we have on work. We like to be compensated for everything that we do. Even for things that we do for God, we feel like we have to be compensated. What am I getting out of this? What is it that am I going to get? Am I going to get validation? Am I going to get recognition? Am I going to get rewarded in some, some fashion, monetarily, with a prize, whatever it is? Why, do we, why does our mind go there? Why do we feel like we need to be compensated in everything that we do? What happened to the day when we just woke up full of joy with a desire to just serve God? What happened to that? Why have we strayed so far away from that? Do we remember that day? Or has it been so long since we've done that that we can't remember that day? God has been so good to us. There is so much that needs to be done. We ought to be joyful in the fact that he even uses people like me and you. Because we don't deserve it. America's done a real good job drilling it into us that nothing is free. Not even freedom. I say it too often, but our, our country is kind of a joke. We're very entitled. We're very overprivileged. We expect everything, but we don't want to do anything in return. You hear these missionaries, they go to these foreign fields, and people are just begging for a Bible, for gospel. They'll give up food. They'll give up money, buildings, everything. They don't care. They just want the gospel. 
And we want everything other than the gospel. We'll work hard for everything, recognition, reward. We want to be patted on the back. We want to be brought up in front of the church and told how great we are. But what about the treasures laid up in heaven? What about the joys of fellowship with the brethren? How about just to show gratitude for what he's given us? How about this one? How about teaching our children that what we do for God, regardless of who sees it and what we may or may not get from it, we do it because we love God and he's been so good to us. What a blessing that is when you get to have your children a part of that. One of the joys of my life is seeing Holden and Hudson get so excited about Bible blazers. And they're in this, this where they're starting to remember scripture and Priscilla spends time with them and quoting verses. And that's exciting. They don't know what they're doing just yet. But it's exciting that there's going to come a point in their life where they're going to look back on that. And you know what? They're going to say, I didn't miss out on anything. Right. Mama and Dada gave me the best life I've ever had. How would you not want that for your children? Be not moved in the chore. Don't let it get you out of church. There's a lot of work to do. But hey, I tell you this, and I'm just being real honest, if more of us got involved, we wouldn't have as much to do. Right. We'd be more effective. We have a very twisted view of the work we do for God way too often. You know, I understand that you can't make every work party. It happens. I understand that you're going to miss service on a Wednesday night. You might miss it on a Sunday. It happens. We all have to work. I get that. But are we so moved by everything else in life that we negate the work we ought to do for the glory of God? Especially to testify the gospel of the grace of God. The Great Commission. What each and every one of us, we all have different callings in life, but this calling we all have to testify the gospel of the grace of God. What are you doing with it? I'm tired. You're tired. We all have so much to do in our personal lives. Brother Dusty's trying not to fall off of this 80-foot shed he's building. We have projects. The house has to be fixed. The yard needs to be fixed. Children need to be whooped. Got to make mama happy. You got all these things that you got to do, but in that, you still need to serve God. Because you wouldn't have all the other stuff without him. Our lives are to be centered around God, not God around our lives. I have a, a brother. He's very dear to me. A friend of mine. I call him my brother. He's, he's a bit out there. He doesn't sleep most nights. The last time I asked him, I think he said on average he sleeps three to four hours a night. If I were to name him, you'd, you'd know exactly who I was talking about. Yet somehow that man manages to meet me at 4.30 in the morning three times a week to work out. He's fully involved in church. Almost, almost, almost never misses a service. Almost never misses soul winning. Except for when job obligations require him to. I spend time with that man outside of public. And he invites people to church. He's kind to people. He has a desire to serve God. He helps to keep the grounds here clean. He's involved in multiple ministries. Oh, and I didn't tell you the best part. He never complains about any of it. Any of it. Never once have I ever heard him complain about serving God. What's your excuse? It's getting real quiet tonight. I know you guys want me to be quiet, but we got to keep going. Don't have the mentality that someone else will just pick up the slack. And when the chores get hard, keep going. That isn't the time to be moved to give up. Be moved rather to keep going when no one else will. Because you just might find yourself alone. But at least you'll have him. Everything we do in this life is for the sole purpose of pointing people to him. And then lastly, this evening, we have be not moved by circumstance. Look there in Acts 20, verses 19 through 23. It says, serving the Lord with all humility of mine and with many tears and temptations which befall me by the lying and weight of the Jews and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly 
and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. He did not care. He did not care. We read several times throughout Scripture of those who desired to cause great harm, even death, to the Apostle Paul. It is sad to say this evening, but I've heard so many people lost or saved say that living for God seems like just too much work. They don't want anything to do with it. I've heard them say going to another country for God just seems too dangerous. There's a missionary, and I've met this man. I've had the opportunity to hear this man preach, and I can't say his name for safety reasons, but this man, he went to a very hostile area, and he wasn't allowed to admit that the reason that he went into this country was to spread the gospel. He had to go under the guise of teaching English to this country. Something happened in this country, and they decided to write an article about it. And as I'm reading this article, they're naming out that he went to this country for the sole purpose of teaching English. Now, I knew this man. I knew his ministry. I know that's not why he went. Now, I say that to say this, because when you read these digital articles, which sometimes is a bad idea, I start reading the comments. What people have to say about this man over and over and over again. This man is ignorant. He deserved every bad thing that happened to him over there. He shouldn't have spent time in this hostile country desiring to teach English to these people, but they don't know. And we can't tell them. We can't put them in danger like that. But did you know that they do that because they love God? They love God so much that they're willing to not count their own lives dear unto themselves that they can go and spread the gospel to a lost and dying world. And again, we won't go out on a Saturday. We allow everyone into our country really with very minor implication compared to other countries. Oh, you want to come in? Yeah, come in. But you go into these other countries with a desire just, just, to, just to spread the gospel, and they won't even let you into the country. That's mind-boggling to me. That's twisted. That's demonic. God wants to see those people saved just like in Paul's time, today the same as he did in Paul's time. God wants to see those people saved, but the problem is we don't have enough people that are willing to go to those countries. Why? Because it's too hard because we're afraid we might die, we might get persecuted, we're going to face opposition. So many people, they think that our missionaries are ignorant and dumb for going to these hostile areas, but that couldn't be further from the truth. They know the consequences. They've weighed the cost. They go because they love God and because those people need to know that He loves them also. The circumstance of possible death the possibility of never seeing family again is very real to them. They know it. They understand. They accepted the calling, and they are not moved. Paul said, the, the bonds, the afflictions, whatever may befall me, I've already counted the cost. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. Essentially, if I die, so be it. At least I died bringing the gospel to a lost and dying world. He never lost his focus. That's how he could say in verse number 24, none, I fully believe he meant none of these things move me. So many people I talk to allow the circumstances of their life, their past mistakes, their failures, the heartaches and the sorrow keep them from an almighty God. Never to have reconciliation with the heavenly father. So many Christians never make it past salvation because of the circumstances of their lives. It keeps them from the joy of serving. There's that perpetual pity party. Oh, this is going this way at work, and this person doesn't like me, and I'm not having a good time in my marriage, and I'm struggling with my children. You got you, you to gotta move on. You can't be moved in that. Our focus needs to be God. And, and I'm fully convinced that if we would just keep God our focus, everything else would follow suit. Right. Yep. God has a way of working things out on our behalf when we keep our focus on him. But we see so much chaos in our families because we don't stay focused on him. We trusted him for salvation. Do we not trust him for anything else? 
even more than that, so many more Christians, they get involved in ministry and they get, they get their feelings hurt. Let's just be honest. Let's call it what it is. They get their feelings hurt and their spirit changes. And that circumstances surrounding the hurt becomes too much to bear that sadly many leave the church. I've seen it time and time again. It, it, it's heartbreaking. And I could tell you this without hesitation. Every single time, it is for a ridiculous concern. It is never because... God has moved me out of this church so that I can be a part of this church. And if that happens, you need to go. You need to go. You need to follow God's commandments. You need to be obedient to God. But if you're getting out because you got your feelings hurt, that's on you. Listen, I'm not trying to downgrade your hurt. We're all going to experience that. I've experienced hurt in the church. You're going to experience hurt in the church. Stick around long enough. You're going to get hurt in the church. I promise you. It's going to happen. God has given us emotion, each and every one of us. We are free to feel that hurt. We're free to feel sad. We're free to be angry. But be not moved in it. Don't allow it to affect your service for God. Even in times of hurt, the sadness, the anger, we can still keep our focus on God and do exactly what we are supposed to do. And I don't know about you guys, but what I found in my own personal walk with God, it's those times when I determine to be not moved, even when it's tough. That is the sweetest fellowship I've ever had. Oftentimes alone. He'll hold me up in a room on a trail in the middle of the woods, whatever the case may be, and he just breaks me and he says, I got you. Gives you that desire to keep going. Be not moved. I remember not too terribly long ago, actually it was Marcus and Lori's wedding. How long have you guys been married now? Are you sure? So we were at their wedding, and uh, shortly after the ceremony, like many events that I do, I I tend to like to sit in the back, and I just kind of like to watch things. And I remember after watching you guys get married, I started to scan the room, and there there are a few people there, and you start, oh, God has done this in their life, and oh, God has done this, God has done this, and God has done this. And somebody leaned over, and I suspect they knew what I was doing because he leaned over and he whispered in my ear and he said, you know, this is all because of you. I understood what he was saying, but that's not true. I may have been influential in getting my wife into church, but all of what has happened in our family is because of this woman. Now let me explain. I'm not going to go into her testimony because it's not mine to give. But my wife didn't grow up in an ideal situation. And when I met her, she wasn't saved. And I remember inviting her to church, and it was right there where you're sitting. You, young man, right there where you're sitting. That's where she accepted Jesus Christ as her personal savior. How long ago? Eight years. She accepted Jesus Christ as her personal Savior in that seat. I remember praying for her for about 10 months. And I remember that service in particular. Every time I would keep my eyes open and I would watch her feet. Just waiting for her to walk out. And she walked out and she walked back in. And I was so confused and frustrated. She finally walked, came down and she got saved. Eight years ago. Now... Her circumstance could have kept her out of church. She could have said, I'm unworthy, and she is. She could have said, I'm not good enough, she isn't. It's okay, she knows. But because she had a desire to do better for her family, she became unmoved. And in the years that I've been saved, in the years that I've been involved in church, I can say this wholeheartedly, and I know it's true. I have never seen anybody have a burden for their family like that woman. Jeremy, Jillian, Marcus, Lori, her mom. Her dad, we drove three hours after he had a heart attack because she told me there's no way she could not go see him. That day we showed up at his house. We drove three hours. That day he got saved. Her dad. Julian, Javen, 
Marcus, and Kylie. When's the last time you got a burden like that for your family? Because she was unmoved. Yes, Brother Mark, how do we not be moved? How do we continue to stay faithful? How do we deal with the hardship of life? How do we deal with the, the pain and the sorrow that comes in ministry? How do we do all that? Well, I have an illustration for you. Then I promise we'll be done. So back in the beginning of August, we took Jillian to Bible college in Elgin, Illinois, Providence, where our, where our pastor is right now. And so on our way up there, it was, it was a quick drive up. We got there in, in a day and a half, maybe less than that. I really didn't pay attention. It was just drive, you know. We wanted to get there for Sunday service. And uh, we enjoyed the time there with her, and, and, and we started to make our way back. Well, it was our anniversary around the same time, so we decided we were going to take our time coming back. And something caught my eye in Illinois. On the way up, I remember seeing signs for Mark Twain National Forest in that Michigan or Missouri, Missouri area. Michigan? I don't know. Where do we go? There you go. Yeah. So we drive through that, and then we get through Illinois, and Priscilla sees something for a place called Shawnee National Forest. So we decide on our way back that we're going to go to this forest. Beautiful. So much green. As Jillian, so we always pick on Jillian. She calls them long trees instead of tall trees. She thinks they're long. So make sure you guys pick on her about that next time she's here. So we see all these beautiful long trees and these branches. They're, they're so far over the road that it blocks out the sun. Just absolutely beautiful. We stop and we go hike for about an hour or two through this little trail there in the Shawnee Forest. At one point, we thought we weren't going to make it back because we went down a trail that was, it was pretty rough. But we got out there, and it was just amazing. It was green. And I was just completely taken in by it. Stopped and just, we got to this place called uh, Face, Face Rock. Stone face, there you go, she remembers everything. I was just enamored by the trees. So we see these beautiful trees. We're sitting at the top of this stone face thing in the mountain and we're looking down, it's just green. And we get, we get in the car and we start driving back and we make it through Arkansas, we start going through Oklahoma and there came a point when you get right into North Texas, we were met with 111 degrees of oven heat. And we're making our way to Fredericksburg and I started to notice something really stuck out to me. You still had these big trees, and they were green, but everything around them was brown. Everything around them was dead. And I started thinking, how is it that these trees can be green with this heat? It hasn't rained in weeks, and they're continuing to thrive. How is that possible? I started thinking about it. These trees found a source to life. And if these trees could talk, they would tell you stories of how they stood through storm after storm after storm. Because this source that helped them get stronger, this water they had to dig for. And as they continued to dig further, and further and further to get this water, they became stronger and stronger and stronger so that they were not moved. So you ask, how does a Christian be not moved in a dark world? You dig. This is the source. You ever just held your Bible? Hold your Bibles up. When's the last time we did more than just hold it in church on our laps? And we read it. You just have that, the, the tears fall from your eyes as God starts to speak to you. And the further you dig in this word, the more he reveals that he is your strength. Amen. That's how you stay unmoved in a lost and dying world. That's how you're, you're able to continue to go forward in ministry. You need this. This is God. God and his word are one and the same. Without, without God's word, you have no God. Without God, you don't have his word. They go together. This is how we get strength. This is how we become unmovable 
in those tough times. Those trees, how can they stand so tall when the grass around them is dying, the shrubs around them are dying because they've dug to the source. It has given them their strength. Now I have to speak to those in attendance tonight that don't know Jesus Christ as their personal savior because I've probably done a really good job of making you think I don't want anything to do with ministry. I don't want anything to do with God, God's house or God people. Let me tell you something. The worst days, the worst days with this crazy bunch of people, the worst days, I wouldn't trade for the best days as a lost person. I don't miss waking up hungover. I don't miss waking up looking for that next fix. I don't miss the pain in my body as I came down from withdrawals from the drugs that I was taking. I don't miss the, the, the fear of not knowing if I'm going to be able to pay bills because all my money's going to alcohol. I would rather be stressed in ministry. I would rather have those down days in ministry than ever go back to that life. Wouldn't trade it for the world. And maybe tonight you came in this church, maybe I see some guests and visitors, and you don't know for sure where you're going when you die. Well, can I tell you there was a man named Jesus Christ. He was beaten, unrecognizable, hung naked on a cross, unashamed, because he knew there was a purpose. He stayed focused. He came and he died on the cross for your sins, so that whosoever shall call upon his name shall be saved. The world likes to complicate it. It's not that complicated. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe that you're a sin? You ask for forgiveness for your sin. He forgives you for your sin. And then you're drafted into the family of God. It is really that easy. And I promise you, so many people come to church and they think, I don't want people to think ill of me or I don't want people to think I'm weird. Well, you're in a house full of weirdos because that's all we want. We want you to see, we want to see you get saved. We want to rejoice in that with you. Because there is no greater feeling in the world than having that burden lifted of knowing that you're never going to have to experience a place called hell. People tell me all the time, you need to go to hell. Couldn't go if I wanted to. I'm secure in that. And you can be too. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.